This episode of the NFT QT podcast is brought to you by the NFT Handbook. The NFT Handbook is a detailed guide on how to create, sell, and buy non-fungible tokens without the need for a technical background. Learn exactly what NFTs are, how they've evolved, and why they have value. You can find the NFT Handbook anywhere books are sold. Yo, what's good? What's good? What's good? I am Q Harrison Terry, also known as NFT QT. And today I am joined by Shlomes. Shlomes is an NFT performance artist that creates some of the most conceptual and art redefining pieces I've seen in the space yet. Every single piece that he makes uh, just makes me rethink what an NFT can be. And Shlomes was one of the first people to really show me what was possible with smart contracts. I'm thrilled to have him on the show. And I think that this is going to be a fun episode because we're going to get a chance to pick a crypto artist's brain. Yo, what's up, Shlomes? Yo, thanks for having me. I'm super excited. Um, I know we've talked a bit before about NFTs. And um, yeah, I, I think that you uh, had like an intuitive understanding of my art, which a lot of people don't at first glance. So I'm really excited to talk about it and uh, introduce a new audience to my art. So when I think about your art and just the the audience in general, it's it's one that's grown. Because I remember when you had just a few collectors and, you know, no one really understood it. And now you have, you know, several hundred collectors and, uh, or is it thousand now? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I've lost track, honestly. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's, sure. that's crazy. So, you know, not only have you skyrocketed on the collector side, but I think, you know, the art, like just so the audience gets it, it's, it's, it's pretty meta, right? Like talk to me about some of your first pieces. Yeah. Um, so the first piece I ever made was uh, in February. So not really that long ago. Um, it was a single pixel, a single transparent pixel, which at the time I thought was pretty clever. It turns out some people had done similar things already, which sort of put some fire uh, under me to, you know, try to think of something that was a little more um, unique on my own. So I sort of started a, a linear series, uh, went to a completely empty file, which I called zero by zero. Um, because, you know, people were saying that a single pixel couldn't qual possibly qualify as art. So I went with no pixels. Uh, and then for the third piece, I did um, a 10 million pixel image embedded with another 99 million copies of itself uh, for a total of 100 million pixels, um, which was like a unique process that I created for um, embedding NFTs within themselves. And that was sort of the start of my self-referential art, um, which what I sort of... What was that piece called? That was called 10 million by 10 million. So 10 million by 10 million. And that was the whole, the whole concept was to showcase the zero limitations of digital art, right? Exactly. And sort of to use the, the digital file in its purest form, right? Instead of the file containing any, any art itself, the file itself was the art, right? And I was using it as like a new, a new medium. When you're looking at NFTs, like what, what just, what makes you fascinated? Because you're, you're new to the space. I mean, February wasn't that long ago. You're all, not even a full year in. And yet we're talking about three of your, your pieces today that I think have really, really, really uh, challenged a lot of people's thinking. So like, how did you even get to that space? And what was the first yeah. project that caught your eye? Uh, there, I had a few Twitter friends that started, um, that started making NFTs, um, Justin Wiet, um, John Gold, and and this uh, girl I follow named Hayem. Uh, they were making really cool art, um, very like visual, um, and I really loved it. And I was intrigued by the by the technology. But most of all, what intrigued me was like 
how 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 we can use this technology to create new forms of expression, right? So all, all of the art that I've created thus far really doesn't make sense out of, outside of the context of NFTs, right? It, 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 it's art because it's an NFT and I couldn't have just made that before NFTs existed. Um, so to me, that's pretty crazy, right? Because all of a sudden we have this technology that's allowing you to create art that you never could have created before. Um, and it's allowing me to be an artist where I you know, wasn't really prior to this year. And the crazier thing is you've been an artist, but you've chosen to not reveal your identity. What was the purpose or intuition behind that? Yeah, I mean, it's a multi-pronged reason, really. You know, some of it was for personal reasons at the time uh, when I started out making art. But I I think really it's grown into, you know, a... uh, a personal philosophy, which is that, you know, I want the art and and sort of this personality that I've grown, which, you know, at times almost resembles a character, even though it really is me. Um, I want it to stand on its own, right? I don't want it to to really be colored by what I look like or anything else that I, you know, that I've done professionally in the past. Um, just really, I want, I want to be able to present this in as pure of like an artistic form as possible, right? And to have complete artistic control over not only the art itself, but also the identity of the artist. Um, and I think you're seeing a lot of uh, NFT artists opt to go that route. And I think it's, you know, something that's un- uniquely afforded um, by this new paradigm, which I'm pretty excited about. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because you see... A lot of public artists that create, whether it be fine art or even, you know, traditional like musicians like Kanye West, where I feel like they're like Kanye specifically, his music might be appreciated more fondly if you didn't have the personal relations there. And NFTs are, are, are kind of fascinating to me because you have this this wave or this trend or like this impetus, and this has existed in crypto before NFTs, but you're now starting to see like these crypto artists take this identity thing to a whole nother level where it's like, you know, it's, it's, there's people like yourself and um, others that you just, you don't know who they are. And so you can't conflate their personal beliefs and their creations. And, and what, and the only thing you know is what they share. So if you choose to share something or you even choose to share like, uh, you know, even a location or anything, that's all we get. That's all we know. Absolutely. And like what I always say is that I'd rather be notorious than famous, which sort of ties back into this, right? Because the last thing I would want is for in my personal life, for me to be famous, right? For everyone to know my real name, to get like recognized on the street, which already happens sometimes because I, you know, I, I have, um, you know, I've ha- I have heard, I, I have had people like hear my first name or something and, and realize that it was me um, already at like this point. Right. So like that, that's the last thing that I want. What I want is for the art itself to stand on its own for this character, but I don't want that to spill over into like any sort of recognition in my personal life. Um, because I think that at least for certain kinds of people, people like myself, you know, uh, sort of, uh, neurotic introverts, I guess. Um, I think that's like a great way to just drive yourself insane. So I really want to separate this from my personal life. And, um, and you know, I, I, it's also an artistic strategy. Right. I mean, and I know you're a guerrilla marketing guy, so I think you'll get this. Um, but my, my whole approach is about, you know, the quality of like the follower or the fan versus the quantity. Right. So I would much rather have a thousand people who really, really, really love my art, love my, you know, persona that I've created and, you know, will remember it forever, will always be interested in what I'm producing and have, you know, a hundred thousand followers or more who are, you know, somewhat engaging here or there who will, you know, completely forget about me if I haven't tweeted or posted in, you know, a week. Right. 
That's fascinating. Yeah, that's um, and and my whole you know if, if I know your viewers can't see, but if you search up my my uh, Twitter, which is Shlomes with a zero, um, you know it, it's it's pretty you know hard to figure out what I'm about at first, right? Like it's, I've I think I have probably the most confusing Twitter page of possibly anyone on the platform, right? Um, a lot of people, you know, start to scroll down and think that their Twitter's glitching because I have like a pinned tweet that's just really long and blank. Um, and, and it's all an intentional strategy because I want people to f- who, who already are fans of mine to feel like they're in on like this inner circle and they, they're in the know, right? So I, I just hit 10,000 followers on Twitter, which on, on, in the grand scheme of things isn't that much. And I, I think doesn't necessarily represent like the uh, influence or like notoriety that I have in this space necessarily. But, you know, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it um, because I, I, I much prefer to do things this way. No, I mean, that's the way you think about your collectors and your your followers and your fans. I think as we see a lot of these creator economies really start to flourish and, and just mm-hmm. arise, your thinking isn't that different than, you know, yeah. a, a YouTuber or, you know, um, even someone that's creating just for themselves because you're saying like, hey, if I don't treat my my followers, if I don't treat my collectors and the observers of my artwork like people that um are more than numbers i'm not going to be right. able to have a living right because this is this is how i make money this is how i pay my bills and um i have to take it with that same serious and, and dedication and i think yeah. that's a it's, a it's it's fascinating that we've gotten to this space like i i'm just fascinated by you and your artistry career i, I do want to talk about some of the other pieces that you've made uh, more specifically the whole fractionalization so you had an fntn shards piece where you took a toilet and blew it up into multiple uh, pieces, millions of pieces. How, how many pieces was it actually? Uh, there were 175. So 175 pieces, which is it's just absurd to me, right? <laughs> and then you tagged them all, almost like you were an FBI agent on a on a detective <laughs> scene, right? You took yeah. amazing digital, I would say, copies of of the or images of the of the actual shards, and then you sold them on the internet uh using it as as nfts yeah how did you how did you come to that well i guess i would start with like i I think a line that i always try to straddle is like um from depending on your vantage point my art can always look like a troll or like a satire or it can look like serious art right so like you can say oh this guy uh took a toilet and had a bunch of people smash it and sold it as an NFT, and it sounds like a joke, right? It sounds like a satire of NFTs, or there's like the more conceptual, like high art explanation, which I'll get to. Um, and depending on whether or not whether you hate NFTs or hate, you know, um, hate conceptual art, um, you know, I, I think like a lot of people in finance Twitter like my NFTs, and they t- they typically really don't like NFTs because they see my art as satire of NFTs, um, whereas people who are into nfts love it too so so that's the line i try to straddle and i think like this is a really good exemplification of that right so so the the, the uh conceptual impetus i guess was you know i was thinking about um ways that we could like in the physical world mirror these like common nft themes so fractionalization right like in the nft world that means that you take an nft this one token uh that's non-fungible so there's only like one version you can't like infinitely recreate it and you um, you divide it into an infinite amount of tokens, right? So you create tokens that map to that token, and then that way you're frac- you're creating fractions of it, and people can own, let's say, a share of an NFT. But that's 
that's a inherently fungible fractionalization, right? So like that's everyone who owns a, a you know a, a fraction of an NFT owns exactly the same thing in in different proportions. Um, and I was I, I wanted to think about a how I could make a non fungible fractionalization where each where each piece of the original NFT is different. Um, but then also I was I was thinking of you know how how we can map that into the real world. Um, and then the other one is generative art, right? So usually that means um, and tell me if this is too like technical, but I'll try to keep it simple. That you know, the artist will create a bunch of code, um, and instead of creating the art itself, they're just deploying this code, and the code generates the art based on, let's say, the wallet ID of the person who bought it, or the time that it was bought at, or any other variables, right? So it's generative because it's generated by some variable instead of the artist. Um, this was generative because it's this real-world object, and the exact you know the exact form of the shards and the exact way that this toilet broke was fully dependent on who showed up at my ritual, uh, which was, you know, in a parking garage in the middle of the night, um, you know, what they ate for breakfast, how much energy they had, like the order of the people who are, who are hitting this uh, toilet with a hammer. Right. And, you know, we actually got some like really interesting um, coincidences. Like my, I, I had spray painted um, the toilet with my name basically because this was, um, an homage to Marcel Duchamp, who in the 30s um, took a urinal, signed it with a pseudonym, and that was like the beginning of uh, Dadaist, like conceptual art, um, the conceptual art movement in the 30s, which you know we can dive more into. Um, and my my name happened to just break off like cleanly, which was you know completely unplanned, but you know really amazing coincidence and it was the second highest selling piece of the of the urinal and someone was about to smash it and i like had to interfere and be like no no no, you know like please don't smash that that's that's crazy so yeah so it was just like physically fractionalized like generative piece but instead of doing that you know all digitally i did that physically and then translated that digitally by taking these beautiful rotating like 360 videos of each shard itself and uploading those as NFTs. And a common piece of feedback I got was like, you know, wow, I never thought that a shard of a toilet could look so beautiful. Um, and so we like took this, you know, boring everyday object that's like sort of profane and no one really likes to talk or think about and like created into like this actually aesthetically beautiful piece of art that people, you know, really appreciated. So, I, you know, as you can tell, there's a lot of conceptual angles to this piece that, you know, are really serious, but then it, at the end of the day, it's also just a guy who smashed a toilet and sold it for a million dollars. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I love that explanation of it because the art, what is art, right? And I think that that's the question that you have to come to when you think about NFTs. And if you look at it and you just say, well, this isn't art, this is some bullshit, then right. that's okay. You can say that. That's your That's your opinion. But to someone else that is like, hey, I do like, you know, the the references or how you're bringing, you know, Marcel Duchamp's uh, way of thinking and methodologies into this new era. And so it's almost like you're keeping that you're keeping that spirit alive in, in, in many cases. Right. Because you're saying, hey, the questions that were true uh, almost 100 years ago, are they still true today? And right. And it's, it's a very hard line to. Uh, straddle right because i think a lot of like people who are trying to do conceptual art either ends up like overly at least from my aesthetic taste overly ironic and like you know very satirical and cynical or takes itself too seriously which are both totally fine um it's just my aesthetic preference to sort of try to nimbly combine both so you you can view it in both ways 
um, which I, I think is the main reason why my art has been successful so far, because I've been really, really, really particular about that. For sure, for sure. So I, I want to talk to you about the, the the piece that I think you're most, I think the, the, the shards piece got a lot of attention and press, and I think a lot of people know about it. But right. I almost feel like the copyright purgatory of digital art. That's the that's the, title <laughs> of the, the piece, right? The registered logo piece. Uh, the re- the the name is just the registered symbol, so like the little oh, R in a circle. It's just called the registered symbol. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I am. That's the piece. I mean, that's the one I talk about in the book, right? Where yeah. I look at it and I'm like, yo, this is this is what an NFT should be. It should make people think. It should challenge their their perception. Like, I think you did that. You do that in all your pieces, but you did that in such an easy, visible, and 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 I think it, it conceptually, I think I could show that piece to anybody, and they can understand, you know, one why they should have should or shouldn't have an opinion about it. And quite frankly, you create this right, design, right? Like if I talk to my mom, she's like, nah, that 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 like he's or actually before I before I say that, I want you to describe <laughs> in your words because I only know it through the internet, and so this is our first time talking to you about this. How did right. you, like how did what is the registered piece? How did it come to be? And then I'll I'll tell you about you know when I'm talking to my mom versus some of the other people I know. Yeah, I mean it was a bit of a departure in that you know most of my work until then was like very just like purist and um, conceptual, and this was like a little bit edgier. Uh, in that it's a bit of a fuck you. Hopefully I can say that on your podcast. But yeah, it was it, it essentially it's um, I took the logos of the top you know, a hundred, uh, corporations in the U S or the fortune 100. Um, and I arranged them in the registered trademark symbol. Um, and this sort of like, almost like, you know, like pop art looking collage, um, which, and I think it's like aesthetically pleasing, right? It's a cool looking collage, but at the end of the day, it's just the logos of these corporations. Right. And I posted it as an NFT and, you know, again, posted it as a pseudonymous individual. Um, so it was, you know, a rumination on what it means to actually own like a piece of intellectual property and to make it uh, a little more interesting. I, you know, told my followers on Twitter that um, to tag all of the corporations and whoever was uh, whoever guessed correctly, the first one to send me a season desist would get 10% of the profits. Um, as far as I know, I haven't been served with this season desist. Um, some lawyers afterwards told me that it's likely that the season desist would go to the uh, NFT platform itself. So foundation. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. So as far, as far as I know, I never got a season desist. Um, but yeah, it really did spark this, um, this wave of, you know, conversation around intellectual property issues, a lot on clubhouse. Um, it, so it, at the time it was my highest selling NFT as well. So there was like a whole room on clubhouse that sort of happened organically with people like watching the bid live. It was about like three ether with like 10 minutes left and then it ended up being, like 30, a lot of bids came at the end. So it was like this really electric moment that sort of came out of nowhere. Um, so that was a definitely a pretty crazy day. No, I, I remember it. And I mean, yeah, very much so is like one of the the pieces that like it, it quickly defi- it, it divides people, right? And that's why I think you had the clubhouse rooms. I think that's why uh, even people wanted to participate in it because yeah. You know, there were there were definitely people who were like, well, you shouldn't be using other people's, you know, intellectual property or trademarks in your art, and you know, you haven't really done anything other than arrange them. 
hey, uh, which was which was exactly the sort of criticism that I was fishing for. You know, you you were almost on your rich, richer prince flow. That's what you were, you were <laughs> yeah. doing. I mean, I you know, I, I think for a conceptual artist, there's like the optimal amount of criticism is not zero, right? Because that means you're probably just making boring art. You want, you know, for me, I think it's like 10 to 15%. You know, for Richard Prince, it's like 60%. No, that's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> no, I, um, I, I think about like everything that you're doing and I get excited because the more artists we have like you, the more people that will get inspired and they'll create less 10K projects. Like that was the yeah. reason why I wanted to even have you on the show was less about, you know, me and you having conversations. Cause I mean, you know, we've, we've known each other passively for a while now. Yep. Um, but it was cool when I asked you, it was like, yo, come on the podcast. And you were like, you know, I'm, you thought on it for a second and then you were like, okay. And you, you joined us and you know, one, I'm, I'm excited by that. Cause it's just like, we get a chance to really geek out about some of these pieces that I've only read about online. <laughs> and two, like, this is what NFT art can be. Right. Like the zero limitations of digital art where you take a file and you, you sell that file, but you showcase like, you know, the uh, the 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 just the void that is like or the void that is scarcity. Right. Like I know yeah. we're getting we're getting very, very deep here, but th that's OK. Like like I feel yeah. like it's one of those shows where I've <laughs> this is the one to get deep. Yeah. The void that is digital art, the void that is scarcity. When you showcase that and you really make a person think. It, it always brings me back to this question of, are we thinking big enough? I don't right. think 10K projects force you to think big enough. Unless someone's doing something very unique or uh, or enlightening with the 10K. So there's been right. a few 10Ks where I'm like, okay, I, I, I get this. This makes sense to me. But again, it goes back to that whole concept of how are you thinking about the space? How are you thinking about the, the work that is out there? And yeah. you know, one, I appreciate you for that. Uh, two, I know we're, we're, we're almost running out of time on this, this episode. So I, I do want to get away from your work a little bit and talk a bit more about the industry. There's some things that you've passively kind of mentioned, or I've seen kind of, uh, in your work that I think most people aren't even thinking about yet. One, the first one is DAOs. Explain what a DAO is and like, what, what, why do you think they're important to NFTs in the, in, in where we are in the industry right now? Absolutely. I mean, on a simple level, a DAO is just like, you know, imagine if a corporation, instead of, you know, being a registered entity with the government was just a group of Ethereum addresses or, you know, crypto wallets funding this, uh, this uh, sort of like autonomous entity, this entity that just acts on its own, and they all get to vote uh, based on the amount of this like token that they hold about what that entity does, right? And that unlocks all of these crazy things that you can do and it also um for me i think it's a, it's mainly an incentive alignment thing right so you know i don't want to get too much into it but you know we previously have discussed this like DAO that i want to create where people fund like these massive art projects right like physical monuments and works of art um i think that's something that couldn't really exist before because typically monuments are funded by the government, right? And, you know, they're uh, some like founding father or something, and they're not really for people like us, for people who are interested in technology or like in futuristic, you know, futuristic philosophy and stuff like that. Um, and, and so DAOs plus NFTs sort of give you this model where you can um, align incentives and then reward people with something other than money. Um, but it, but in general, I, I just see DAOs as being able to like, create a fundamentally new economy um and you know one that isn't necessarily based on like you know 
socialism or like some other economic model as much as restructuring the economy that we have right now to create, you know, a more fair and democratized um, and incentive aligned version of capitalism. Got it. The whole concept of things that just couldn't like NFTs are bringing to life. Like, cause I didn't even touch on DAOs in the book. Right? Yeah. So, it's like one of those things where that, that'll be the second handbook, the Dow handbook. <laughs> and I guess something I would add is like also that they're like digitally native. Right. So like I, I've worked, you know, at, at, at a large corporation and stuff like the amount of red tape and like physical paper and stuff that's like, you know, underpinning our entire economy and like our financial system is insane. Right. And, and these are entities that are inherently digital that run, you know, on, you know, that, that run fully digitally that can take input from like streams of data and act on them immediately and are based on smart contracts instead of like long drawn out human processes with like lawyers and, and accountants and people and, you know, taking months or years to fund a project. Right. Which is what's so exciting to me because I hate red tape and I'm an impatient guy and I want to move quickly and build crazy things. Yeah, no, no. On the Dow side, what do you think, like, do you, you do you really think that they're going to, like, kind of take over the industry in some capacity? Yeah, I, I, I do think so. I think it'll take a while. Um, you know, uh, aside from my art stuff, I actually work with the Dow um, uh, at my sort of day job, I guess you could call it, uh, with this research and development lab called Windranger, um, which uh, is the R&D lab for this new Dow that, uh, that just launched called BitDAO, which is sort of flying under the radar, even though by... Uh, value locked is like the second largest DAO. Um, but yeah, I do think they have the potential to transform the industry, which is why I'm working on them. Um, but, you know, I've also seen firsthand like how how complicated it is and how this, it's still an unsolved problem, right? And that's why I'm trying to help build the technology uh, needed to make these actually run efficiently and actually perform better than like the corporate model. Uh, with that thing, like, I mean, your art, I mean, obviously you're, you're thinking about it. You're probably going to create something in that realm or, or, or I'm sure you'll get inspired in some capacity. Um, where do you think NFTs are going to go? I mean, obviously everyone's talking about gaming. I've talked about it myself, but what does the future of NFTs look like in, in your eyes? Yeah. I mean, I do have opinions at the same time, you know, like I am so heads down with making my own art. Like I recently... <laughs> heard that there was an nft bear market you know what i mean like I, I think most people are a lot more plugged in but I, i'm just so focused on making art that i'm not like i don't really do much you know i try to buy and support people's things and and stuff like that but um i'd say i'm actually surprised and, and i'm plugged in in terms of like being up to date on the technology um and knowing people but in terms of like um yeah in terms of like being plugged into the nft community i almost intentionally don't because there's so much noise right um, so I do have opinions. I do think, you know, gaming is is going to be huge. I think a lot of people use the word metaverse a lot, but don't actually have any like real understanding of what that's going to look like. Um, and I, you know, I, I think it's funny how that happened too, right? Yeah. Like, that's the new buzzword. Like, it's right. Like blockchain, like now it's just metaverse. Right. And, you know, but, but, but really to me at the end of the day, like, it's not that I think this is what's most important. It's just that I know myself and I know what I'm interested in. What what I'm interested in is just the conceptual potential for art, right? So this could this could go, you know, uh, revolutionize like the entire agriculture industry or whatever else. And I, like that's not what's important to me because I am just solely focused on like making crazy art, right? And everything else is is uh is sort of 
second to me. Um, so no, yeah, I, I don't think I, I don't think I necessarily am the best person to answer that question. No, I mean like it, it's you have a perspective and you've you, yeah you're a practitioner. So I think that like right. the perspective from you is actually a lot more uh, relevant and prescient than <laughs> that is just an observer, right? Because you've That's actually true. said like, hey, I've made three notable NFT projects. If anything. I, I'm going to listen to you before I listen to someone that's just like watching the market. So, right. I mean, obviously that's not your day job and you're not looking at it from the perspective of like uh, how to get rich or, you know, like how to create a company in the space per se. You really are thinking through it through the art lens, but art and NFTs is an, an area that interests me a ton. I don't think we have the mm-hmm. time today to get into that, the, the spe- that too specifically, because I think that, we're so early in that realm like i don't like the the institutions don't understand it just yet the i mean we could go on this could be a a whole another show like (laughs) right like there's just so many listen if you want to do a second one i'm um i'm game yeah i think that that i think that that actually might be where we end this because (laughs) the the limitations of just I don't even know what you call it. Like, do you call it like the perspective of the art world? Like when they look at this stuff, because they don't respect the crypto artists, right? And the crypto artists don't respect kind of the institutions that we would call traditional and fine art. And so you have some hybrid where yeah. you have this, this crossover culture with the Christie's and Sotheby's. But I, I think that the, the perception is bigger than that actually is, right? Like there's a few pieces that are being moved, but, and there's like projects that are being ran up like the floor but beyond that, like it's still not moving the needle, in my opinion. I'd, I'd be curious to know where you where you think that is. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I definitely think the Sotheby's and Christie's have had some effect. Um, but I, I definitely, at the time when that sort of started happening, was definitely hoping that that was a bit more of like a catalyst for like you know fine art acceptance of NFT artists. Um, I really don't like seeing myself as an NFT artist, right? Like I don't like that modifier, and I wish that you know, that um, the real like conceptual or like fine NFT artists were just considered artists. I get it because we're making art through the medium of NFTs. Um, But at the same time, yeah, you know, I would, I would love for there to be more recognition in the fine art world. At the same time, you know, one of the amazing things about the NFT world is that it allows people like me to make art for, you know, geeky tech people um, and still be commercially successful instead of like needing to, you know, aesthetically sort of kowtow to, you know, some like gallery collectors and stuff, curators and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I, I do think that's, that's sort of um, the trade-off that you get when you're creating an entire new market that sort of threatens the, uh, threatens the traditional one. Right. So, the, and, and because of that, I think it's going to be very, very hard um, to like fully integrate these two communities. 